Amen. Give some praise to God. So good to be able to praise and worship him. And I'm so excited about the students up here. Uh, you know, students, um, that I like taking selfies. Did you know that? Can I take a selfie with you? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Is everybody there? <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to be here. One of the things I, I really enjoy uh, about the place where I go work out sometimes is that on the wall, there's a sign that says no gym intimidation. I like that because, you know, I'm not very athletic. I'm not very built. And, and so there's some gyms that you go to and uh, there's these guys that are really built, you know, and they're wearing these muscle shirts and it, it looks like 90% of their body is up here and they have these little legs and, and they, they pick up an incredible amount of weight and, uh, and they're grunting and they're sweating. And I go in with my baggy warm-ups and they look at me as if they had pity on me. Like pobrecito, right? And, uh, and, and I'm like, um, th they have the pin at the bottom of the stack on the weights, right? So I go over there and I just kinda, when they're not looking, I move the pin like way up, right? And, uh, but, but I like the gym I go to because that doesn't happen there. You know, there's like fit people and there are people like me that are not so fit. There are women and there are men, there are young people, there are older people and, and everybody goes in there and there's no judging, there's no intimidation. You just go and, and get on the treadmill and do your workout and get out. And, and I like that and I thought, you know, that's the way church should be, right? We should have church that's no church intimidation, right? We should, we should know, people should know when they come in here that no one's gonna be like, I'm more spiritual than you. Like, oh man, you look like you don't have it together because I do, right? It, it, that's not what we want people to sense when they, when they come to church. We want them to know that, that if they're looking for an answer, they've come to the right place. That if they're looking for help, they've come to the right place. We want them to know that this is not a place where we're gonna look down on them, we're gonna judge and criticize them, but, but a place where they can find answers, where they can find God, where they can find power. And so, uh, we're talking this weekend, the students have been talking about being fearless. And, and, uh, and we don't wanna be people that spread fear. We don't wanna be people that encourage intimidation, you know? But the truth is that that not everybody sees it that way. There are some people that are bent into intimidating. There are some people that are bent into spreading fear. And so today, as we talk about God's message, when we think about our commitment to follow Jesus, when we think about our commitment to obedience, we remember that Nehemiah faced this kind of intimidation. As he was about to complete the task, as he was getting closer to what he was called to do, the intensity increased, the intimidation increased. And that's the title for today's message, Increased Intensity. We're following in our series on the book of Nehemiah. And as you think about this, as you trust God, you may be sensing that things are going to get tougher. In fact, 
maybe you were here this weekend and you were pumped and you're excited and then all of a sudden you get to school on Monday morning and you realize that it's not as easy to carry out your commitment to the Lord. And so as we look at the story of Nehemiah, I hope that, that all of us here can say, I will not be intimidated out of my trust for God. I will not be intimidated out of my obedience to Jesus Christ. So let's go to our text in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. That's the next chapter in our series. Nehemiah chapter 6, 1 through 4. And it reads like this. When word came to Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. There's gonna be some intimidation tactics that Nehemiah's enemies use against him. And the first one, we notice it here, is deception. Nehemiah had left his comfortable place in Susa, the palace place where he was serving the king of Persia because his heart was broken for the condition of Jerusalem. So he left the comfort of the palace and he made the long journey to Jerusalem with one thing in his heart, with one thing in his mind. He wanted to rebuild Jerusalem to its former glory. He wanted to restore the city of God so that the peoples around them would know that God had not forsaken them, that God was alive. But not long after Nehemiah arrived there, he faced opposition. Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem were there to, to discourage him, to criticize him, to ridicule him, to, to talk to the workers so that they would give up the work. But Nehemiah would not give up. He was committed to the task and he stayed on task. And when they realized that their words didn't work, then they organized these enemies of, of Nehemiah, organized their armies and surrounded Jerusalem to intimidate them and let them know, look, if you keep up this work, we're going to kill you. But Nehemiah, what he did, he didn't, he didn't stop the work. He didn't get intimidated. What he did is, is he allowed his people to, to carry swords and to stand on guard so that if the enemy attacked them, they would be ready to confront him. At every step of the way, every stage of the project, Nehemiah faced opposition. And every time he faced it with courage, every time he faced it with prayer. And now the building of the wall is about to be completed. They're almost done with the mission, but they're not done with the opposition. It, 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 this Sambalot and, and Tobiah and Geshem keep showing up. I call them the three stooges, you know? They just keep showing up like a pest. My wife and I have been fighting these ant piles in our backyard. They're, they're trying to get to our avocado tree and we love our avocado tree. And, and so there's ant piles around it and, and we go every day and we, we put a little poison there so, so that, you know, the mound will die. And, and the next day we go and the mounds where we put the little powder are dead, but then there are like three new mounds over here, right? And so then we do the same thing the next day and, and man, now our yard is being taken over by ants. It just, they just won't go away. And so was Sambalot and Tobiah 
and Geshem, they just wouldn't go away. When their words didn't stop the project, when their swords didn't stop the project, then they turned to intimidation tactics. And the first one was deception. They sent this invitation to Nehemiah to meet him out away from Jerusalem. Hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come out? Let's talk. Let's have some coffee. When was the last time you had a latte? Come out here and meet us in this field uh, called Ono. I think that should have been the hint. God named that field, oh no. You better not show up there. And Nehemiah may, maybe at some point thought, maybe, maybe these guys want to make up. Maybe they want to reconcile. They've been mean to me all this time, but now I'm finishing the wall. Maybe it's time to make peace. But how would he know for sure? How would he have uh, the discernment to know what to do? And so uh, he turns the first invitation down. But they insist a second time. They said, look, come out. We really need to talk to you. And he said, look, I'm busy. I got to finish this wall. And a third time, they sent an invitation, and he gives them the same answer. And then a fourth time, and, and when they couldn't get him, they showed their true colors. This is what happens when, when, when people are trying to be fake, right? It shows up eventually. They, they were trying to pretend that they wanted to talk, but, but you, you, tell, you can tell they, they wanted something more because they turned to blackmail. Look at verses 5 through 9. It says, then the fifth time... Sambalot sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have been appointed prophet, have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, so come let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your own head. They were all trying to frighten us. There's that, there's that intimidation tactic. They were all trying to spread fear, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Deceitful people will eventually show their true colors. Deceptive individuals will eventually be exposed. These guys were so desperate to get Nehemiah out in a vulnerable place that, that they were willing to blackmail him. They made up this story, and, and it could have been a believable story. They said, look, the reason you're rebuilding Jerusalem, it's not because you care about the Jews, and it's not because you respect the king of Persia. The reason you're building Jerusalem is because you're trying to organize a revolt. You're, you're trying to, to go against the king of Persia, and you want to be king. This is for your benefit. That's, that's the kind of story that we're making up. And, and, and somebody that might have heard it might have believed it. If they didn't know Nehemiah's heart, if they didn't know Nehemiah's integrity, they might have said, well, wait, hold on a minute. Maybe, maybe this rumor is right. You know, Nehemiah didn't have those intentions. That's not what was in his heart. But it only takes one person to cast doubt on your character for people to begin to doubt. False narratives are popular. You know that? False narratives sell ratings. Social media is filled with half-truths and twisted stories. 
I, I like the, what, what it says here in, in the blackmail letter that they're sending him. It says, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true. Geshem was one of them. It was like, and I saw it on Twitter, so it's got to be true. It's intimidation by deception. If you've decided to trust God, there will be those who will misunderstand you. There will be those who will misrepresent you. If you have made a commitment to follow Jesus, there will be those who will intimidate you into going back, into getting off track. There will be those who will spread false rumors. It's intimidation by deception. And what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What did Nehemiah do? He received this discernment from God that they were simply trying to scare him. So he did what he always did. You know what he always did when he was in trouble? He prayed. And what did he pray? Strengthen my hands. You know what Nehemiah's prayer was? Strengthen my hands. Help me to stay on task. Help me to stay the course. Give me the strength to finish what you've asked me to do for you, Lord. Some of you today need to pray that prayer. Some of you today need to say to the Lord, Lord, strengthen my hands. Lord, strengthen my resolve to follow through in what you've called me to do. Lord, strengthen my hands. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Strengthen my hands. Secondly, the second intimidation tactic of these enemies of Nehemiah is discrediting. You know, Nehemiah hadn't been sidetracked or swayed by his enemies. He, he knew better. So he goes to visit a pastor, if you would. He goes to visit somebody that preaches God's word. You see that in verse 10. It says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. So here is this prophet of God and, and prophets were supposed to speak God's word. So if a prophet said, look, God told me this is going to happen, you listen. So Nehemiah goes to this prophet and he goes to visit him and this prophet says, look, they're going to kill you. And Nehemiah is hearing these words and, and, and he's saying, you need to hide. Now, what would you have done if, if, if somebody that's supposed to represent God says to you, look, people are going to hurt you. They're going to kill you. You're in trouble. Why don't you take sanctuary here at this temple? Why don't you go inside the temple, shut the doors and you'll be safe here. What would you have done if you were in Nehemiah's shoes? A prophet had said something that seemed to come from God. The good thing about this is that Nehemiah was a man who had a direct line to God. He, he was a man who, who was in communion with God. And, and when you're in communion with God, he gives you discernment. Discernment is the ability to tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong. The difference between what is true and what is not true. And the Bible says that when we seek that kind of wisdom, that God will give it to us. Proverbs chapter two, verses three to six says, indeed, if you call out for insight and cried aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then 
you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What a wonderful promise. God gives us wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And that's exactly what God gave Nehemiah. He gave him wisdom. And Nehemiah realized, even though this was a man of God, even though this was a prophet that was saying, look, you need to hide in the temple, Nehemiah realized two things. He said, look, if I go in the temple and hide, People are going to think that I'm a coward and they will lose confidence. I'm supposed to be their leader. I can't be scared because then they'll be scared. Secondly, the only people that are supposed to go inside the temple, the only people that are supposed to go inside the holy place are priests and I'm not a priest. So if I go inside the temple, I'm going to sin against God. So this can't be from God. It might be, he might look like a preacher. He might dress like a preacher. He might talk like a preacher, but he's not talking for God. Because the discernment that God gave me is telling me that. And he realized that Sambalot was on the wrong side. Look at verses 11 through 14. It says, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Verse 14, remember Tobiah, Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Nehemiah realized that Shemaiah, the prophet, was on Sambalat's payroll. What a sad thing it is when, when religious people sell out for greed. He was, he was paid a bribe to intimidate Nehemiah. These religious leaders that, that were bribed by, by Sambalat and Tobiah were spreading fear. They wanted to close the stock market in Jerusalem that day. They wanted people to be afraid and intimidated. What a sobering thing it is that, that sometimes people who seem to be on the right side say to us that that the things that don't come from God. I had the, the privilege and the opportunity about 20 years ago to, to be pastor of a church in Fort Worth. And, and I, when I first got to that little church, it was a small congregation and I was their first pastor. It was a brand new church. A church planter had planted it and I came to be their pastor. And, and, uh, and they had, and then there had been people in the denomination and around them that had said when they wanted to start, you're not gonna make it. And, and when they wanted to buy their first little building, they said, look, you, you, you can't afford that. You're getting in over your head. And so uh, they went ahead and they bought their first building because they knew God had led them that way and, and God provided for them. And then after some time that I was there, the church grew a little bit. It wasn't a huge church, but it grew a little bit. And we outgrew our facilities. And we started praying to see what God would have us to do. And, and God was speaking to us, and he was specifically speaking really clear to one of our lay leaders. His name was Leo Jimenez. And, uh, and this businessman said to me, look, what we really need is to build a brand new facility on the freeway here in Fort Worth. And I looked at him, and I thought, oh, well, that's very nice. I mean, you're a businessman. You think big, but, you know, we're a small church. I, I'm not sure that we can do that. We kept praying, and we were convinced that God was leading us this way. And so we said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's keep praying and see what God does. 
And so he picked up the phone as a businessman and he called some of his acquaintances and he said, look, I would like you to ask around people that own real estate in, in Fort Worth and tell them that we need somebody to donate five to seven acres to a church on the freeway, that specific. And the man on the other side later told us, his name was Philip, he later told us that, that he thought that was such a ridiculous request, but he respected Leo so much that he said, well, I don't know of anybody, but I'll ask around. And he said, well, I'm just gonna ask around just in case and, and, and really so that I can tell Leo, hey, I asked around, there's really nobody donated five acres of land on the freeway, so, but I asked. What we didn't know was the day before that phone call, there was, some, there was a corporation that owned a lot of land in North Fort Worth and they were driving around looking at their properties and they came to this 11 acre track of land that was empty and, uh, and, and the chairman and the president were in the car and they were looking at this property and they said, what are we gonna do with this land? And he said, I don't know, we're paying a lot of taxes on it. And the other one said, you know what? It sure would be nice for a church to be there. This was the day before that phone call. So then this man calls the man from this corporation, he says, look, I have a ridiculous request. I have a friend that I really respect and, and I don't want to tell him that I didn't ask, but I'm going to ask. I know this is ridiculous, but anyway, would you happen to know anybody that will donate five to seven acres of land on the freeway to a church? And the other guy said, well, as a matter of fact, I think I do. And so they had us meet them at, at the Cracker Barrel on I-35 and meet them there in North Fort Worth. And we had lunch and afterwards they said, there's a property next door we would like you to see. And we went next door and there's 11 acres, there's a little creek that runs through here, but, but you can, some of it is on a flood zone, but you can build on some of that land. Would you like for us to donate it to you? And I said, let me think about it. <laughs> let me pray. Of course not. We said yes, we went back to the church and we said, okay church, we got a $1 million track of land to build on. There's, there's less than 200 of us here and now we have to build a building because God has provided the land. We have to step out in faith. And so they stepped out in faith, we drew the plans and the building was gonna cost $2.2 million for that small congregation. And the people prayed and their pledge and they gave. We borrowed money against those pledges. We built the facility, we paid the loan off early, and now there's a building on I-35 and Meacham with a cross that's sticking out of the building that says to people, there may be some naysayers, there may be some people that told this church that they couldn't do it, but this church received a discernment from God that that's what God was calling them to do. And, and when somebody intimidates you in an attempt to discredit you, to tell you that you don't have what it takes, that you don't have the integrity, that you don't have the ability, that you don't have uh, what it takes. The best response is not to spend your energy trying to convince them that you are a man of integrity. The best response is not to try to spend your time trying to convince them that, that, that you are a good person. The best response is to finish the task that God has given you. That's what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 15. It says, when all our enemies, sorry, verse 15 says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 
Nehemiah didn't launch a propaganda campaign that said, look, I'm, I'm a man of integrity. I am a man that honors God. He didn't do that. He just stayed on task and he finished the task and he let his actions speak by themselves. His response to the intimidation was to finish the job. They completed the wall in 52 days. That's an incredible accomplishment. 52 days, the city wall was built. His actions spoke louder than his words. His sec the second response to intimidation is completion. Listen, when others try to discredit you, keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes on the finish line. When the religious people of Jesus' day try to discredit him, when Jesus was doing miracles and they said, oh yeah, he's doing miracles because the devil's helping him. When they, when they accused him falsely, when he was being tried before Pontius Pilate and before Herod, you know what Jesus did? Did he get, did he get a campaign committee together to, to convince others how good he was? No, 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 you know what he did? He kept his mouth shut until he was hanging on the cross and then when, when he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. I finished the work for which I came. I accomplished the mission for which God has sent me. He allowed his work on the cross to speak louder than any word could speak. Nehemiah and Jesus reminds us today that when intimidation by discrediting comes our way, we just need to finish what we started. We just need to keep running to the finish line. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the Christ, cross scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then third and final, intimidation tactic was disloyalty. You know, sometimes we get obsessed with people liking us, right? Some of us spend time on social media wondering how many likes we got. Or, or there may be some people at school or at work that we say, I wish so-and-so would approve of me. I wish so-and-so would like me. I wish so-and-so would, would affirm me. And, and, and it's dangerous because you can get obsessed with looking for the approval of people. I, I like what Dave Ramsey uh, quoted. He said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. We do that sometimes whether we want to admit it or not. And here's the truth. The truth is that there are some people who will never, who you will never please. There are some people who you're never going to please. You're never going to impress them. They're never going to be affirming. Even after Nehemiah had finished the wall, even after the wall was given witness of his integrity and his ability and his leadership skills, there was still opposition. And, and so Nehemiah faces this opposition as he is looking at the end product. Look at verses 16 through 19. We're going to finish this chapter. When all our, enemy, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them for many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam. 
son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said and Tobias and letters to intimidate me. Isn't that something? The story begins with intimidation and it ends with intimidation. In spite of what Nehemiah was able to accomplish, the very last thing we hear in this chapter is that Tobiah was still trying to intimidate Nehemiah. The wall had been finished. But listen, walls are relatively easy to deal with. Church buildings are relatively easy to deal with. But people, (laughs) people something else. Dealing with people is a different story. Some of, of the leaders in Jerusalem were having correspondence with Tobiah. Tobiah couldn't come into the city but his letters could. He, he didn't have the alarm code for, for the gate of Jerusalem, but he had their mobile number so he could send them texts. And there was communication between the people in the city and Tobiah. He was shrewd. Not only that, but he married into the Jews. And he had his son marry into the Jews. Now that gets really complicated. Because here are two people that have been at each other's throats. They, they, they've been at enmity and now... Some of them are family, so what do you do with that? It gets, it gets complicated. And so as Nehemiah is trying to move on to the next stage of the project, he's having people come to him and saying, listen, Nehemiah, Tobiah is really a nice guy. Now, here, here, Tobiah is the guy who criticized, who ridiculed, who discouraged. He's the guy who organized his army against Israel. He's the guy who tried to lure Nehemiah into the field so that he could hurt him. He's the guy that blackmailed Nehemiah. And now the Jews are saying to Nehemiah, listen, Tobiah is really a nice guy. You just need to get to know him. You just need to know his heart. Listen, be careful with the people who are very informative These are the people that Nehemiah had helped to rebuild the city. He had invested of himself to give them dignity. He had helped them overcome the opposition that came against them. And now, now these people that Nehemiah helped are Tobiah's spies. Be careful with people who who are two-faced. Somebody said that whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. So be careful. Tobiah wrote letters to Nehemiah letting him know that he knew what Nehemiah had said. I know what you said. Your people told me. He's trying to get into his head. You know, when when somebody tells you that the people that you trust, that the people that are close to you are not loyal to you, that they're informing your enemies of what you say, it can rattle your cage. It can really shake you up. It can throw you off. But I like Nehemiah's focus. Did you notice verse 16? Go back to verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Who's afraid now? What kept Nehemiah center was knowing that the surrounding nations were afraid because they knew that this was the work of God. They weren't Jews. They didn't know the God of the Jews. But when they saw the wall completed, they said, look, we, we remember this city in ruins. We remember these people 
being in the status quo. We remember these people being discouraged. We remember that they didn't have resources or money or leadership. But in 52 days, they've finished the wall. That has to be supernatural intervention. That has to be a God who raised up a leader that cast vision on the people, a people who rallied with vision and took up the rubble and built the wall in 52 days. It is a testimony that there is a God in Israel. It is a testimony that God can rebuild a city from rubble. It is a testimony that God can take a valley of dry bones and raise up living people. It is a testimony that he can take the ashes and make the fires burn again in to revival. It is a testimony that the God that we serve can make something happen from nothing. And Nehemiah understood that. He noticed that. He was convinced that as people were trying to intimidate him with this disloyalty that what was important to him was that God was getting the credit. That's the third response to intimidation, credit. The credit goes to God. Listen, God doesn't wanna call you to do things that you can handle and manage so that at the end of it all, you can say, look what I did, I'm pretty good. God doesn't want to call you to do things that are possible for you to do. God wants you to God wants to call you to do things that are bigger than you, that are impossible for you to do on your own, so that when it is all said and done, he'll get the glory. People will know, there's no way he could have done that by himself. There's no way that church could have done that by themselves. God must be with them. It is a testimony to God's glory. So as you commit today to trust God, as you walk out of this weekend, this one weekend, Don't worry about whether it's possible or not. Don't worry about whether you're gonna be able to do it or not. Remember that God has called you to do something bigger than yourself because he wants to get the glory. He will provide the power to do it. William Carey, a cobbler, school teacher, bivocational pastor, said expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And he began what is now the modern missionary movement. Accept the God-given task that God has given you and face it fearlessly. Say, I will not be intimidated by what other people say. I will not be intimidated out of my commitment to Jesus Christ. I will not be intimidated out of my resolve to obey him, to become a disciple maker, to be on mission with him. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads in prayer? As you think about what God has said to you today, what is the commitment that you need to make? What is the way that you need to answer to God's call? I'm gonna ask you to respond if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today you can receive what he did on the cross. Today you can receive his grace, his forgiveness. Trust him. Don't let anything scare you from that. 
If you need to follow him in believer's baptism, if you need to trust him with a task that he's given you, then give it to him right now. Pray where you are. Say, Lord, I'm not going to be intimidated by my enemy. I'm going to trust you. Because you're the God who will get me started and you're the God who will get me to the finish line. And I'll trust you. As you think about your commitment, I invite you to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess or just have thanksgiving in your heart. Father, I thank you for your work. I thank you for your provision. And as we worship you through our giving, through our taking communion, I pray that your spirit would be present with us. In Jesus' name, amen.